carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. You're in the mainframe. It's eating through Greg's entire system. Access encoded. Gigabyte of RAM should do the trick. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. Hello, and welcome to We're In, a podcast that gets inside the brightest minds in cybersecurity. I'm your host, Blake Subcheck, and I am thrilled to be speaking with Kelly Moen, Chief Information Security Officer of the City of New York. She helps protect and defend against the full spectrum of cybersecurity threats facing the city. Kelly's storied career has spanned a range of agencies and departments, including the Department of Homeland Security and a stint as CISO for the NYPD. I'm eager to talk with her about the most pressing NYC security threats, Kelly's path to taking a leading role in the cybersecurity field, and hopefully hear some of her advice for up-and-coming cyber professionals. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Attackers scan your systems daily. You just don't get the report. Synax Security Testing Platform stands out by drawing on a trusted network of global security researchers. From web apps to headless APIs, our platform helps you find and fix gaps in your security posture. Learn more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So thinking about what goes into defending a city like New York, it just, to me, an outsider, it feels so overwhelming. You have literally everything, elections, finance, municipal services, a huge chunk of the total U.S. economy. So I guess... What do you prioritize from a cyber defense perspective and and how do you stay organized? That's a great question. So I'll hit staying organized first. I think my team hears this a lot from me and anyone who you talk to about doing cybersecurity at scale. What is easy for an enterprise or a small business, relatively easy to get done without maybe a rigorous process gets arguably incredibly complex and, and difficult to manage at scale if you don't have good people process and tech in place. And that's no different, right, than we see in New York City. It's making sure that it's it's one thing to initiate something once. It's another to make it a sustainable and repeatable process. We have take a lot of time and effort to make sure that what we're building towards is sustainable and can be repeatable and really consumable by our customers. In terms of the, the attack surface and sort of the landscape at large, you're right. It's it's a huge portfolio. <laughs> And I think that's that one, that's what makes it a value add for working for New York City because you, I don't think any other any other organization really, if I'll call ourselves that, can sort of be responsible and see everything from the most basic tech to protect against and uh, most basic sector. Think your you know Windows laptop, all the way to the most advanced think IoT emerging critical infrastructure. So that's what makes it really fun. I will say it, the prioritization really doesn't look any differently than you'd find in an enterprise. If anything, I think the stakes are felt more deeply because, you know, we're talking about protecting New Yorkers, right? And making sure that mission essential services are, are up in their daily lives. They're interacting with city government. So making sure that, you know, the water is getting getting to them in the tap, right? The, the traffic lights are functioning as needed. And so a lot of the prioritization that we work on really also means working with the private sector, right? Critical infrastructure, a large majority of the entities are privately held. So it's in our best interest to work with partners to say, hey, I'm seeing something on on our end. Are you seeing something similar so we can better protect each other? And so that's been really amazing to continue to build out in New York City. I'm glad you mentioned the private sector with critical infrastructure. I feel like, what is that stat that's always bandied around? Like 90, 90%, yeah, 85%? 80 to 90%, yep. 
Absolutely. Right, right. D- does, does that resonate in New York as well? I feel like that's oh, yeah. okay. Very much so. Yeah. And so that's what I think is exciting because it's not, yes, there's the stat. And I think depending on what you cite, it's anywhere from 80 to 90%. But I sort of chuckle because we know the providers in New York City that we, we need to make sure know us and vice versa and have really good partnerships in place for them. Because again, on your worst day working a cyber investigation, you certainly don't want to, to meet a helping hand the first time, right, in the middle of arguably controlled chaos it's better to know who we are and how we can help before. And that goes both ways. And so that's the value add, I think, in the partnership that we bring, can bring to the table, which is why people want to partner with us, especially private industry. And so how do you go about building those relationships with the private sector? Is that something that you do a lot of outreach on? Is that command a good bit of your day-to-day work? What can you say about that? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. So I think the human factor plays a really big role in cybersecurity, especially incidents, trust matters, making sure that, you know, if somebody's dealing with a complex situation that we're, we're not blasting it out there for everyone in the world to see. But the, the human factor and in, in building the relationships and then also just finding the sort of natural touch points between private sector and government, which already are there, but are, typically present themselves in, you know, a technology effort or a service that's that's being used or that New Yorkers are leveraging. And that makes a really, really amazing sort of starter option for entities that we can work with. Because again, their success is our success and, and vice versa, right, in terms of failures. So we want to make sure we know who they are um, and they know who we are. Totally. Well, speaking of that human element, I I heard that the first cohort of New York City's Cyber Academy graduated recently. So congrats to those individuals. What can you share about that program and the the rationale for launching it? Yes. So I'm really, really proud of what we've been able to build with Cyber Academy. So Cyber Academy was really born out of the idea of you know, no one's going to solve with, you know, wave a magic wand and say, okay, all of a sudden we're going to get a, 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 an influx of incident responders who have all the expertise in the world in this very, very critical field that, you know, globally, I think private institutions, government entities, we're all seeing a, a shortage of talent and more positions to fill than people to fill them. So instead of just talking about the problem, we decided to do something about it and do something about it relatively quickly. I think quickly, even in comparison to to government or even private, right? So last fall, we launched Cyber Academy, which focused on the first cohort being our cyber liaisons. When Mayor Adams took office, he very quickly instantiated Executive Order 10, which compelled city agencies to name a cyber liaison who was not the CIO nor the the CISO. And so that presented a really amazing opportunity to invest in those cyber liaisons to give them the hands-on skills and training they needed to be force multipliers for us downstream at their agency. Because we heard really collectively, hey, I want to learn more about incident response. I want to be able to run investigations. And so we curated a number of classes and, and training to develop the skills that are required to be resilient in that in that pathway, in that career. And we model it a lot off of what the FBI does for their new special agents that are starting to work cybersecurity investigations. How do you take somebody who has 
maybe some tech background, maybe an understanding of how to run investigations, but not on maybe on the cyber side. What does it look like to run a digital investigation? Kind of a reskilling of a angle almost of Yeah, and, and upskilling and reskilling is really the the focus of the, the cyber academy writ large. So we got through, we graduated an initial cohort just a week or so ago, which has been amazing. We got a ton of great feedback from the liaisons that they found the classes really helpful to give them the hands-on training needed to be more astute if and when incidents happen. And we're going to be doing a fall and a spring academy cohort until we get through the liaisons. And the hope is that we're going to be able to expand to not just city employees, but also focusing on getting folks into the cybersecurity field who are interested. I think it's been a great opportunity for us to showcase how we're investing in, in the city's cybersecurity community. Well, and that, that effort, which certainly is, is quite admirable given the talent gap that you referenced, plays into my next question a bit, which is how does New York compete for cybersecurity talent with the private sector? Yeah. So I don't really see it as competing, right? And the reason I say that is because I'm pretty practical. I think anyone who's worked with me in the past or even currently knows that the diversity of experience you get as a cybersecurity professional is the thing that makes you stand out on your resume and in your interviews and makes you better in contributing to the community. So how, how on earth is somebody getting that diversity of experience? It means you're not, you might not stay in the same job for, you know, many, many, many years working, you know, as a vulnerability analyst for, you know, your entire career. Um, So that means that in terms of competition, I see it as, you know, I'm city government could be a stop along your journey. And hopefully you can come back to us, right? As you, if you pop out, you can always pop back in, but on the private side, right? I, I can't compete with all of the salaries that the private sector offers, but what I can compete with and what I can offer, which I think arguably a number of people come to city government for or government writ large is the mission. And you get to, you get to protect some pretty interesting technology. I, I can like only I said imagine. Earlier. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess a lot of it is sort of what you'd expect in a city environment, but also just being able to walk around and say like, yeah, I defend the city of New York. You may have heard of it is a pretty cool tagline to have. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a point of pride. And I'm just so impressed with the team that I have and the security team writ large in, in New York City, it's definitely a, a point of pride that we protect and defend New York City. And being a new, a new, relatively new to New York, New Yorker, it's an incredible point of pride for me that I get a chance to, to be in this role and move the cybersecurity defense posture forward for New York City, which has been awesome. So let's talk about that new New Yorker angle a bit, because I know you've had a range of experience at federal agencies, in the private sector, from Apple to the Department of Homeland Security. How did you come to land in in NYC and, and what sticks out for you in your thinking about your journey to your current role? Yeah, so I... I took a leap of faith in the pandemic and uprooted my life to New York City to be the CISO for NYPD. I wanted a a bit of a change. I wanted an additional perspective and experience. So I was working at Department of Homeland Security, and I I stumbled upon an opportunity to take a a CISO-level role at NYPD, which I thought was really exciting. And now, being the New York City Chief Information Security Officer, I've gotten a really good sense of how the city operates, right, and all of the different agencies and mission perspectives. And again, I did not expect to uproot and move in the middle of a pandemic. 
But I think some of the best opportunities come when you least expect it. And this leap of faith has absolutely worked out. And I, I feel very deeply in the fact that you have to take those chances in your career to push yourself and understand, you know, how to get to the next, the next step in your career. Cause again, my, my pathway to New York city and even into cybersecurity was not linear, not traditional. And I think there's a majority of people out there that are probably like me who maybe started in the tech field, got interested in cybersecurity through maybe mentors or just, you know, interesting problems to solve and then found themselves in this really exciting new world of cybersecurity. And, you know, now here, here is where I am, which is fantastic. Like I can't imagine picking up and moving during the pandemic sounds a little bit stressful, even though you were based in the DC area before I take it. Yes, I was for like my entire adult career life. Wow. Well, we don't need to get into the DC New York controversy comparison. Uh, New Yorkers would probably say there's no comparison to start with. So, uh, so we'll we'll leave that to the listeners to hash out. But I did want to highlight a quote from New York City Mayor Adams, who who said recently, and it was kind of alarming. Honestly, I looked at it and I was like, wow, this quote: "Cyber threats can bring our entire city to a halt if we're not prepared, costing us time, millions of dollars." and even livelihoods and lives, end quote. That is quite a strong statement. So how do you navigate preparing for that sort of low likelihood, but really high impact potential cyber event that he seems to be referencing there? So I think that's a great statement. It opens folks' eyes to the reality of what occurs every single day, right? We are on the front lines every single day, preparing and prepping for, you know, worst case scenario. But beyond that, measuring ourselves against resiliency, right? The concept of cyber resiliency, especially for state and local government, including municipalities, is one that keeps getting talked about for a reason. How do you prepare for worst case scenario and all flavors of worst case scenario? So, you know, I I take that incredibly seriously, that that sense of urgency and importance to our mission. And my team does as well. And that's the really powerful message, I think, especially within a municipality like New York City. Minutes matter. Uh, they, they matter more deeply, I would argue, to a municipality because we're dealing with New Yorkers' information and services. And again, the stakes are incredibly high. So protecting and defending those systems so that behind the scenes, you have no idea what we're what we're seeing and defending again, and you're going about your daily life interacting with city service with no issues. Like that's that's blue skies and steady state for us. And I think that that sense of importance and urgency that you see in that in that a message from Mayor Adams stands true today. Well, against that backdrop, I hope you'll pardon me for asking a, a stereotypical question for chief information security officers, which is the what keeps you up at night. That's, I hate that question and I love that question. <laughs> I will say, I always think it's funny depending on who you ask that question. I'm sure you've asked it to a number of people. Oh, Has yes. anyone ever oh, yes. said they don't sleep at night? I don't know. So, Has anyone some ever people admitted? Are like, some people are like, I sleep like a baby. And they're just like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. they just ignore the question altogether. So it does vary. Yeah. So I think from a real perspective, I sleep at night because I have an incredible team. And I know that even if and when something were to occur, we are well poised to respond accordingly. And that's, what, that's what's great about doing what I do. 
On the flip side, though, I think Amy Sizzo, who doesn't say that, you know, we're always trying to do better. We're always trying to push the envelope of getting us stronger and more resilient. If you're not reaching for something, then what are you doing? So I'm a little bit more practical on that end. So I have an amazing team, which is why I sleep, which is amazing. I actually do get to sleep from time to time. (laughs) They've got my back. And I think that's that's a powerful testament, right, to the to the mission-serving folks that we've got here on, on staff. And, you know, I've got to give them a lot of kudos for all the hard work that they do day in, day out. Very often do people not realize the countless hours, the, the breaks away from family, the, the investigations that go far into the night that you just don't realize behind the scenes the cyber professionals are working, you know, 24-7. Yeah, yeah, and and it's so interesting to see to hear from people on those front lines and again, hopefully we don't have to see in the headlines, you know, yeah. <laughs> what could happen or what's going on. And I know a big part of that comes down to information sharing for the threat analysis piece and making sure that you're staying on top of, you know, what the latest and greatest is. So, you know, being based in Washington DC myself, we have a lot of these information sharing and analysis centers headquartered here. I, I know the electricity ISAC is down the street for me a little bit. And is there like a, a city ISAC or, you know, how do you stay in touch with your peer, you know, chief information security officers in say, I don't know, Chicago or San Diego to stay ahead of threats? Yeah. Great question. So I like to answer that kind of a little bit differently. So New York city, given how big we are, we operate unlike states and sometimes other municipalities And the value add that we offer, again, is if we're seeing something across New York City from a campaign perspective, we believe in the the solve for one, solve for all, right? Feeding that information back to the community so that the next entity or the neighboring county can better protect themselves. So we don't only partner with other, other municipalities, other states, other operationals, the ISACs. I mean, you name it, we likely have a connection to that entity or that org or that person. In early 2022, Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul launched the Joint Security Operations Center, which is where I'm sitting today. We have partnerships across New York and even, I would, I would argue, across the world. And that's because we really have to think about cybersecurity bigger than just the other state and city CISOs, but really, okay, what are the private firms seeing what we're seeing so anyone and everyone that that has a stake in this in this game, we are looking to make sure that they're protected like we're protected, and we can kind of we can share that intelligence across the board. So that, like I said, that includes public and private sector, and a lot of that's through word of mouth or through direct engagements. They hear about what we're doing, we hear about what they're doing, and then reach out, and it's been great. It's been great to see that partnership across the U.S. for sure. On that threat front, I've noticed that ransomware attackers in particular really seem to have taken off the gloves and are just going after, you know, quote unquote, soft targets like schools, hospitals and other critical infrastructure organizations. It's 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 really terrible. And, you know, as somebody who's on those front lines, again, as we've discussed already, what what ransomware trends are you seeing And, and how do you help defend organizations that maybe don't have a ton of resources at their disposal to throw out a problem like this? Yeah, so I'm sure you've probably seen this in the industry. It's something that I've been watching pretty closely as I as I look at industry trends across the board, depending on the sector you're talking about. We're noticing, I think, across the industry, the, the fact that there could be ransom, but not ransomware, right? So hmm. attackers that, that 
leverage, you know, ransomware to conduct their operations, obviously. But then sometimes we also see just ransom requests for payment, right? So without actually dropping malware. Because sometimes it's worse to just be able to touch the information and say that you have it. You don't actually need to deploy malware. So I've been noticing that definitely as an uptick across the industry. I'm sure you've seen that probably from, from your end as well. So it's definitely something that we're watching. And I think maybe five years ago, that was not a trend that you'd see a lot. But now, it definitely with the rise of ransomware, I think that that's going to be something that's continuing to promulgate as, as folks start to diversify their TTPs from a threat actor perspective. Right, right. Their tactics, te- techniques, and procedures, we'll say, for people who may not there be you go. Thank you. may not be caught up on those. No. And speaking of TTPs, you know, one organization that certainly plays a role in getting that word out is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which does a lot of promotion nationwide around cyber awareness. And how do you promote good cyber hygiene in New York City? Absolutely. I, again, I think. We're a little bit different in this regard. Yes, we absolutely do promotion. We have citywide cybersecurity awareness training for city employees. We've also got a little bit of the, on the public engagement front, just again, elevating the cybersecurity conversation. So if you're a resident in New York City, you can download NYC Secure, which hmm. gives you a little bit of security protection on your mobile phone. I would say that most people have a mobile device and are likely joining in secure Wi-Fi right? And maybe not realize it. So little reminders like that, hey, this is a phishing link. This could be a a suspicious text message, gives that level of protection and extends it not just to city employees, of course, but also really focusing on the public writ large. And so any opportunity that we have to get the word out there about how to protect yourself and be cyber safe, we take advantage of it for sure. Definitely. That's, That's so important, that that messaging. And now I know, speaking of work to be done, in the industry that there is, I think it's widely accepted that there is a a little bit more that could be done to build out that diverse pipeline of cybersecurity talent industry-wide tackling these issues. And as a woman who's successfully risen through the ranks of InfoSec, what would you say to other women who may be on the fence about pursuing a cybersecurity career in the first place? Yeah, I would say representation does matter. I think, I think for me, I didn't even, I had, all the opportunity in the world to do what I wanted to do in life. And I did not realize cybersecurity was an option for me. Not that it couldn't have been an option. I just didn't realize until later in life, oh, hey, cybersecurity could be something that I could get into, right? And I think that a lot of that had to do with the fact that I didn't, maybe I didn't see folks that looked like me in roles, technical roles in cybersecurity. But I think for the women out there that are considering it, or maybe doesn't don't even know that it could be for them. You just have to start. You just have to try. And I think the really amazing thing about the profession in general is you don't need a degree. Arguably, you don't need even a lot of money. If you have access to the internet and you have access to, to t- a technology product like a, a mobile phone, a, a laptop, there's so much out there and open source that if you really want it, you can start learning it without an instructor, without a really expensive boot camp, and you can just start. And that gives you enough to go off of to say, oh, this could be something for me. And again, not every cybersecurity career means you have to be a pen tester, for example. Nine times out of 10, when I talk to people about cyber, they say, oh, but I, I don't have the, 
I don't have the technical chops yet to be a pen tester, an incident responder. And I always remind them, like, do you think those people started out as that? No, absolutely not. They had to learn. They had to sort of, they had to be around the technology and have an understanding about how systems are built. And then you grow from there. And so being able to socialize the, or even demystify the, the profession writ large if you're a woman out there that wants to get in the space, start asking questions, be bold, reach out to someone and start poking around, right? And get your curiosity up. I think that some of the best security professionals that I've met in my career that I really look up to are the ones that were persistent in their intellectual curiosity and really had a, a strong drive to learn and, you know, talent to to grow in the field, and, and that really matters, I think. And that comes across when you're interviewing and that comes across when you're talking to folks. And it's an exciting, it's an exciting profession to be in. And you can feel that when you talk to folks in the profession. It's certainly dynamic. There's always something new around the corner. It's constantly changing. You know, we talk about the ever evolving threat and it's true, right? Every day there's something new that comes up and yes. uh, needs to be dealt with. I, I, I imagine that that keeps you pretty, pretty busy in your day job. So. <laughs> yeah. I always joke that I feel like we're, if you work in cybersecurity, you're a glutton for punishment. You love <laughs> to always try and figure out something faster than the attack, you know, one step ahead of the game. But it's that, it's that new and exciting learning opportunities that I think keep keep people coming back to the profession. Not to mention a perfectionist. I know there's that mantra of the attacker only has to be right once or the defender has to be right every time, which, you know, I, okay, maybe a slight exaggeration of the reality, but still there's a kernel of truth there. No, it's, I it's absolutely definitely, think uh, that that's the reality. A thousand percent. I always joke. It's like you could lock every single door in your house. Intruder finds a, a window that has is unlocked or that they can break into. They're going to try, right? It's the same thing. They only need one small window of opportunity. And, and that's what makes the defender's job incredibly hard, but incredibly rewarding when you can stop things from happening. Was there ever an aha moment for you when you realized that you wanted to move into cybersecurity as your career? That's tough. I think because I, I, throughout my career, I think I've gotten so wrapped up in learning about cool and new tactics and, and techniques that oftentimes I think in general, and probably like most cybersecurity professionals, we, we have a hard time stopping and reflecting and looking back. I will say, I thought it was incredibly cool when I could call myself a security engineer. For my entire career, I did not go to school for engineering. My bachelor's is international studies in Russian language. And so when I realized that I was a security engineer, and not just in title, but I was doing the work, right? And I, my peers knew that I was doing the work and I could sort of humbly say, no, I'm, I'm doing this. Oftentimes that comes after you're already doing the work <laughs> when you realize it. But I think that was the moment where I said, wait, I'm actually pretty good at this. This could be something that I could continue. And so I think that that's the closest to the aha moment that I had when I could explain something really, really technical from the building of a system and securing it perspective that I even said, oh, wow, I, I knew something that normally this other person always knew more than me. I'm finally bringing to the table some of these skills that I've been working so hard at. So that was that was probably my the biggest moment for me. 
Well, security engineer is certainly an impressive and hard-earned title, but let's not sleep on the Russian language skills either. I have a, a bad feeling those might come into play at some junctures in your, in your Well, work. I'm not good at it anymore, so I can say okay. that. I am not really good at all, but, but yeah, it was fun while I was learning it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, some of your other analysts have you covered on that front with the potential threat from from that nation state. <laughs> but so, I, I, if if we're not if we're not going to reflect as much here, what's next for your office? What's coming up on the horizon? Well, I'm very excited about our spring cohort of Cyber Academy. We are focusing and really doubling down on operationalizing zero trust, which. I love to talk about, but not in a buzzword way. We're, we're doing it. <laughs> Easier said yeah, than done. I know. That, that, I'm sorry. That, that is a buzzword. So let's just stop there yeah, for a second. Yeah, <laughs> thousand percent it's a buzzword, but we're actually, we're, we're putting some rigor behind it, which is great. And again, just bolstering the resiliency across the city. And I, I say this all the time. We have to meet our customers where they are. Our customers are, are both the public, the city agencies, and making sure that we're giving the agencies and ourselves, the, the tools and the, the guidance to succeed in this space as it continues to ever evolve. And that is not just on the, the, the technical side and the, the patching and the remediation, sort of your, your core pillars of cybersecurity portfolio, but that's actually prioritizing the things that matter the most to protect ourselves against the next, you know, swath of attacks. And and so looking at the investments that we can make in our people, bringing folks into city service and getting them the skills so that they can go back out to the community of cybersecurity when they're ready and if they choose that. And we're, again, we're feeding the community with better, better cybersecurity practitioners, which ultimately is going to pay dividends as this whole of society approach to cyber so for us, that type of engagement, both from the city employee perspective, city agencies, and then the public for the residents of New York City is the thing that I'm so passionate about because I think that this opportunity as the CISO of New York City allows us to kind of move that forward. And so I'm really excited for that on the horizon. And again, just bolstering the cybersecurity protections in, in not a buzzword way, we'll say. Right, right. Well, and I think that whole of society approach you mentioned is so important when it seems like everything's connected now digitally. You get just your, you know, put a chip in it seems to be the answer to literally any new technology. Do you see what's next on the technology front? What's the next frontier for New York? What is the next attack surface you're sort of thinking about potentially protecting? So I think it's not what's next. It's, it's what's already here. And I've been focusing very yeah. heavily with across the city on cloud security for a reason. Mm. If you think about IoT, Internet of Things device, if you think about the interconnectivity of systems, it doesn't matter if they're my system, private sector system, it doesn't matter, right? There's connectivity to cloud infrastructure. People are building in the cloud more. And so bolstering foundational skills and understanding on how to very rapidly assess and secure cloud infrastructure, whether that's an infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, a software as a service, or those back-end components for, let's say, an IoT, an Internet of Things device, that's the future, but it's now. And that will only continue to be complex as the sprawl of interconnected devices continues. So we've been focusing very heavily on robust cloud security as an enduring theme. And yeah, of course, we're always, we're concerned about, you know, 
post-quantum and all those fun things as well. But the very big reality right now, I think, is focusing up on tightening cloud security. Talk about the ever-evolving landscape and needing to constantly learn. Quantum is a good example of that. Who'd have thunk that we'd need to be staying on top of this and paying attention to what NIST is saying about encryption standards? And oh my goodness. Well, I won't keep you away from your mission too long. I really appreciate your time here. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you wanted to make sure listeners heard straight from you? Well, I'm absolutely going to plug. If you are interested in doing good within New York City and for the community writ large, we're actively hiring across a number of different roles. Like I said, it's it's an interesting mission space and it's incredibly valuable. And you're around sort of the brightest minds in cybersecurity, I would argue, my team. And so if you want to come work for the city, you should. We're actively recruiting nyc.gov slash jobs. Come work for New York City Cyber Command. Fact check checks out on my end. Our tagline on we're in is get inside the brightest minds in cybersecurity. So I'm not exactly going to second guess that conclusion. And now we do have one question that we ask all of our guests here on the podcast, which is what's something that we wouldn't know about you just by looking at your LinkedIn profile? Oh, that's a great question. I grew up working on a farm in an orchard for many years of my life. So hard work and perseverance is core to who I am and arguably has has made me what I am today. So yeah, but you would not see that on my LinkedIn profile. The big apple, apple orchard, I take it? Or what kind of orchard are we talking about here? There you go. The whole nine yards, New England. Yes. Uh, Known for their apple orchards, Dondero orchards in South Glastonbury. I've got to give a plug to, to that family owned farm that I grew up with. That sounds lovely. I'll have yeah. to check it out. Get some. You can go uh, apple picking <laughs> in the fall. Gonna te- there you go. It's going to test my knowledge of my knowledge of apple varietals here. I'm like, I don't know what they grow up there, but I'm sure it's lots tasty. Lots <laughs> of varietals, lots of pick your own. You know, great. Great, great. Well, thanks again for joining us, and uh, great talking with you, you as Kelly. well. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. If you liked what you heard today, I hope you'll give us a five star rating and review. It's a big help. And please share this episode if you know anyone who could appreciate a little infosec wisdom on their morning commute. We have a whole catalog of episodes well worth a listen, so you may want to check out past interviews as well. Finally, if you know someone who might be a good fit to appear on the podcast or have any comments or feedback, drop us a line at we'reinpodcast at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K dot com. Until next time. We're In is brought to you by Synac. If you're looking for on-demand, continuous access to the world's most skilled and trusted security researchers, you can learn more at Synac.com. Synac recently launched its Empower Partner program so that partner organizations can more easily offer the Synac pen testing platform to their own customers. This approach helps optimize Synac partners' technical competencies and allows them to better integrate Synac into their portfolios. It's a way that partners can win new business by adding continuous, best-in-class solutions to cybersecurity, cloud, and DevSecOps offerings. Synac partners with organizations around the world to make them safer, more resistant to cyber attacks, and more capable of finding and fixing dangerous vulnerabilities before attackers are able to exploit them. Learn more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K dot com.